Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Got double birds with me tonight. Chili dog not home yet. So um, here we are. So this last week has been more uh, eco-challenge news. Not really any news, but uh, just a little bit more. They got a Facebook page up now. And uh, looks like they're going to be announcing the location middle of next month. And maybe actually some of the peculiarities of the team. Um, it's beginning to look more and more like they are going to be taking teams. It's kind of what it sounds like. So I've uh, been looking to see. It's just saying mixed genders now. I think the original was um, going to be two of each. So um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, let's see. It's not a lot going on. It is that time of year. So we got a little national championship podcast news going on here. So um, you know, let's just let's just do this thing. We'll get it on. And uh, yeah, get the weekend coming soon. We got a little bit of snow on the ground here. Not real cold yet, but uh, ready for the weekend. It's supposed to warm up and be sunny. And we all know I like sunny. So uh, go fast, take chances, and thanks for listening. Hey, look, we're done before the bird gets noisy. All right. Thanks. Bye. Hello, this is Joel. Joel is that? Hey, Joel, this is Randy. Hey, Randy. How's it going? Good. So did you hear me when I called a minute ago? Yeah, I could hear you, but it didn't sound like oh. you could hear me. No. And it did that before, and I don't know why, but so I, I quickly troubleshot it and fixed it by unplugging and plugging the microphone in. Works every time. <laughs> it does. So, um, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Um, well, we got a little bit of snow, so I'm not real happy, but... It's going to warm up again, so wow. I guess I can live with it. So, yeah, it's still plenty, uh, snow. plenty hot, short to short sleeves out here in the Baltimore area. Yeah, well, I'll screw you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking forward to the snow. Uh, I, you know, I decided it's actually not snow so much. I it it can be cold and snowy if the sun's out, then I'm okay. So, yeah, it's 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 that. Uh, Seasonal, I don't know. I like the sun. Anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell the people who you are. Uh, so my name is Joel Ford. I have been racing with uh, Rootstock Racing uh, for the last two years. I'm 34 years old. live in the greater Baltimore area, just outside of Baltimore, uh, born and raised. Uh, went to school up towards Philadelphia, and I love adventure racing. And yes, you do. So, um, where to start? Well, what did what did you do before you became an adventure racer? What's your background? What what kind of weird thing were you into first? Uh, so I've played sports pretty much my whole life. Growing up, did everything in the uh, rec council leagues, and uh, my big sport was lacrosse my whole life, played uh, probably since I was about six years old, all the way through high school and college. And then after college, I was just looking uh, to get into some other kind of physical outlet. And my dad had uh, been a longtime mountain biker and road biker. Um, so I started getting into mountain bike racing a little bit and pretty quickly heard about adventure racing. And I went on the USARA website and found a local club and um, started racing with Adventure Racing Maryland, and then more recently with Rootstock Racing. So what kind of, how long was your first race? Uh, I did it the right way. I didn't jump into like a five-hour <laughs> or five-day event like some people have. I started out with a, a six-hour event, and then a couple of months later, I went into a 12-hour, and then I think in the same season, I did do a, a 24, um, and then the next year, I did uh, Untamed New England. So I, I worked my way up pretty quick, but I did step-by-step. So what year did you start? Uh, 2009 was my first year, so almost a decade. Yeah. 
So you're kind of a, you know, I it, it's funny because there's all new East Coast racers that I don't know that I should know, and I think you're all new. And then I find out, oh no, I've been racing for ten years or fifteen years. Or, so yeah, I've taken a couple of seasons off over the, the decade. So I really probably only raced five of those ten years. I would say maybe six. Yeah, but well, who did you race with at Untamed in eleven? Because that was my first year at Untamed. Uh, so my first year was I think two thousand ten. With Adventure okay. Racing Maryland, uh, the team that I had uh, started with, and then raced it again in 2012, I believe. And me and uh, my former teammate Kathy, we joined forces with Cumberland Trail Connection. Um, so we were just out there for yeah. fun, just finishing the race. Yeah, I should go back and look up the pictures and stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> yep. These people that I have no idea who they are, I've, we've done races together. So. Um, did it, was it a real natural progression from you to, to get up into a expedition race like Untamed New England? Um, it was, that, um, you know, it's so much of it is experience based. Like you don't know what to pack and what to eat those first couple of times. And just, so just getting through that first one or two was a, a big learning curve. And then after that, you kind of get to the point where you're like, oh yeah, I can, I can suffer a little bit more. I can take a little less. I can uh, go without the the liquid, like Coca-Colas and stuff. When I'm out there, I can just put that in my bin. And, you know, there's kind of little nuances you pick up over time. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, we finished every one we did, and um, no injuries, no malfunctions, nothing like that. So it was, it was a, a pleasant work into getting into those longer races. Still, I've never done anything ever. Uh, four days, so yeah, nothing crazy. So are you looking? Are you looking forward to going over four days someday, or are you kind of in your sweet spot? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it by any means. It's just kind of how the the races I've done have been. Yeah. So well, and I, you know, you shouldn't discount finish finishing two. Well, actually, three untamed New Englands is is kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So. He does a good job with those courses. He makes you work for him. He does do that. So, um, so when did you get hooked up with Rootstock? Um, so I had raced against Brent and Abby over the years when they were with Gold, um, and I even joined the forces with the two of them and our teammate Brian Rice uh, back in like 2012, and we did a um, I want to say it was a SOG race, a team SOG race. Um, and we ended up winning that a very close race battling out with Team Sog. Um, and so I kind of, that was my first experience racing with them and uh, continued to race against them over the years. And then back in 2015, uh, so I joined the Peace Corps. I was in uh, Cambodia from 2013 to 2015. And at the tail end of that, they had gotten in touch with me and asked me if I wanted to join forces and race with them. And of course, I said, no, I have just been sitting in this other country for two years, not doing any racing. I'm in no shape to uh, jump right back in with you guys. I think they asked me to come out and do the national championship that year, and I was like, no way, I can't get in that shape in time. I got home in, at the end of August, I think. Um, and then the right. following year, in 2016, I ended up taking my van and doing a, a giant road trip around the U.S. for six months. Uh, and then towards the end of that, I was finishing around the same time, like October 1st, and they had been emailing with me, and they were like, yeah, we want you to join forces with us, with us for nationals. And I said, no, I, I've just been sitting in a car for six months. <laughs> I can't get in shape nationals again. So then after that, you know, coming into the 2017 season, I was starting to build my fitness back up and get back into things, and I had still been in touch with them um, and our one of my teammates, Kathy, who was kind of the driving force between Adventure Racing Maryland, um, she had moved down to Richmond, so I was kind of looking to get hooked up with somebody else anyhow. Um, so we jumped on. It's been a miraculous decision for me. It's, it's pretty cool. However, we're going to go back because why did you uh, – tell me about going to Peace Corps. What's, what's that all about? What's that like? <laughs> 
Yeah, so the uh, the Peace Corps was really sweet. I actually got into it a weird way. I was I was doing some online dating and went out on a first date with a girl, and it didn't end up working out romantically with us, but she had been a former volunteer in the Peace Corps and just told me all her stories that night. And I went home and applied that same night when I got home. And uh, and she ended up staying good friends. We're still friends to this day. She kind of mentored me through the whole process and, um, as it got, you know, it's about a year-long application process. So after all that, I got um, the invitation to go and stay and live in Cambodia for two years and jumped at the opportunity. It was fantastic. Um, if you haven't been and ever get the chance to go, the people are a wonderful, beautiful country, great food. Um, and the actual experience itself, um, although quite challenging at times and uh, you know all the all the fun stuff of sicknesses and uh, weird foods and hot temperatures and uh, going over there and not being able to speak the language and all those things. After all those uh, kind of superficial things fall off, you end up having a great time and meeting great people, making great friends, both um, other volunteers and and locals there. Yeah, well, it's not too far off from adventure racing with with all that stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wh what did you do in Cambodia? Um, so in Cambodia, we had both English volunteers and health volunteers. I was a health volunteer. So there was a small little health center down the street. I lived with um, everybody in Cambodia stays with a local host family. Um, so I was about 100 yards down the street from this little health center, and I would just go there and kind of do just basic health education. Um, we would talk about nutrition and sanitation, um, hygiene and washing hands after you go into the bathroom. Um, the women volunteers did more with like pregnancy and prenatal and postnatal care. Um, being a man, it, it was kind of hard to get into that, uh, into that realm of things there, but I did being, you know, enjoying exercise. I did a lot of, um, kind of sporting events and, um, things for like NCD type stuff, like obesity awareness and um, did a, a lot of gardening projects and nutrition-based things. Um, but the cool part about the framework there is that really whatever your interests are, you can kind of put a little health spin on it and say, oh, yeah, I really like teaching sports. So I went around to all these elementary schools and I would teach sporting events and and when I was feeling sick of that, I would go around and teach about the different food groups at different schools or start up this gardening project with local families. That's interesting. So you don't necessarily have to have a specific background in anything to go. You can just kind of be like really wanting to help. Is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much. So the um, application process has changed since I was there. Now you... Um, before when I applied, you just kind of applied to the Peace Corps in general, and they would interview you, and you'd do all your medical tests and all that good stuff, and um, maybe a third of the people who apply would get in, and then they just kind of tell you where you're going, wherever they need people. They just assign you a country, and you either choose to accept or decline. Since then, they have changed the application process. Now you actually apply to a specific country that you're interested in, and um, also a specific program. So if you want to be a health volunteer or if you want to be an English volunteer or whatever it may be, you apply specifically to those positions. So I think it's gotten a little more uh, competitive in that regard. Um, but, yeah, the beautiful thing about it is if you're open just to going anywhere, they always need people at those other countries where people aren't just, you know, everyone wants to go to Fiji or somewhere and thinks that it's going to be this awesome romantic trip. Um, so there's all those other countries out there that need a little bit more attention. And um, also being a American, generally most of us are fluent in English, so that's always uh, highly prized in most other countries. And uh, it's an easy thing to go and teach basic English to people with nothing else. Yeah. So when you applied, you didn't know where you were going to go. What did What did you think when they said Cambodia? Oh, I was stoked. I, I mean... Anywhere I think I would have been happy about, but just, um, I don't know, I'd never been to Asia, never been over that way, and always uh, wanted to go, and it was also a fairly new program. I was there during the 
seventh year that Peace Corps has been in Cambodia. Um, there was also an election year, so that was pretty cool when I first got there. Yeah. That is cool. Well, then, I want to hear about your other adventure. What did you do six months driving around the, the U.S.? What was your goal? What did what did you what were you doing for fun? Uh, so I had all these friends around the country who were other Peace Corps volunteers, and a, you know, a year later from that whole excursion getting back, I just wanted to kind of go around and piece together all those friends. And um, I had friends from studying abroad around the country and different family and friends around that I wanted to visit. And I'd also never really been too, uh, too far out west. I'd, I'd flown out to California and gone skiing, things like that, but... I always wanted to go do the National Park Circuit, so I did all the, pretty much, if you name it, the National Park, I was there. Um, just kind of just kind of bummed it around, lived out of the van for six months, and I uh, went did a lot of hiking, climbed some peaks, and uh, saw a lot of yeah. people, and yeah, just bummed around. It was great. Yeah. So, so it wasn't really AR training, but you were... You were being social and having a little little fun in the outdoors. Yeah, yeah. I didn't take my bike. I rented one like out in Noad, but I did a lot of hiking around and backpacking kind of stuff. Well, that's a, I mean, you know, why not, right? Oh, yeah. It was, it was miraculous. I'd, I'd do that again in a second. That's cool. So, okay, well, we're, we are going to talk adventure racing eventually. <laughs> so... You know, after, uh, I don't know, what I mean, four and a half years, sometimes I just like to hear what people do in, in the real world. So. Yeah. But um, what is training like in the Baltimore area? You know, because I, I have, okay, I got to make a wire reference, right? So I have this, I have this image of Baltimore, which I know is not right. So what is, what is training like for you? Yeah, so I'm actually out in like a suburb of Baltimore. I don't have to worry about like city traffic and all the uh, stuff that people who live downtown might have to get out a little bit more to actually hit some, some green space. There's not a ton of uh, parks or anything around where I live. There's a, one nice reservoir that has about 30 or 40 miles of trail and another park on the other side of things that has about 40 miles of trail there. So those are kind of my home bases that I hit up all the time and um, probably uh, relatively flat compared to maybe some other locations, but mm -hmm. I was surprised actually Southern Indiana where Nationals was held was pretty much the exact same thing as, as what I train on around here, just lots of rolling 200, 300-foot climbs. and um, So I was, I was pleasantly surprised that it was uh, about the same. Yeah, well, you know, us us westerners we we think that everything that you know east of the mississippi is just cities so i like i like to uh keep that um stereotype going but yeah unfortunately in this area they have uh limited more and more of those green spaces and um put more and more restrictions on it like it's very difficult to find somewhere to legally night ride around here so getting in even just being out running or in a park at nighttime is usually off limits around here. Um, so they're getting kind of that skill set down requires a little more uh, secrecy or you just go and do it on the roads or you go to somebody's farm, someone you know, and go and horse around out there. Yeah. I did see somewhere in the last couple of weeks or something about uh, people doing, you know, secret night rides in the parks, and I thought, well, I guess that kind of makes sense in a, in an urban area why they close the parks at night. I mean, literally, you know, technically all the parks even here in Rapid City are closed at night, but um, adds that bad boy element to your training. <laughs> yeah, and usually, you know, I have been called a few times, and they're, they're generally all right with it. You either just play dumb or, or just, you know, explain what you're doing. Hey, I'm training for this race day and night. you got to get that training in somewhere, and, and they're usually pretty good about it. Yeah, so that works out for you. Do you um, do you have any kind of a group around you that you can train with, or are you kind of on your own and then have to go? Do you ever you know go travel to train with people? Yeah, predominantly I do my training alone. I have um, 
a couple of people in the, the Maryland area and then Philadelphia where Brent Abbey and the rest of the team reside about two hours away. So um, we could make the effort on the weekends and, and meet up and do some training events, but typically we just do it on our own. We all have kind of different life schedules and things going on. Yeah. So it's just easier to roll out from the front door and go for it. Yeah. So, um, so you've been in it 10 years. I don't know if you can answer this, but, Ten years ago, did it seem like it was more important to train with your teammates? Because I kind of, it, it was kind of the, I think, the mindset that I thought of. Like, like you need your team and you need to train together to be, you know, so you know what's going on. Is, is that true or am I just imagining things? Or, and were you, were you or not training with people? Um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a big element of that, like what you would call a team synergy and knowing, um, you know, for us, for them living in, in Philadelphia, I mean, down here in Baltimore, and even the, the rest of the team that live up there, I don't know that they're getting together a ton and training together, but we do enough races together that you learn each other's tendencies when somebody's up, when someone's down, what you can do to help each other, when to take the pack or share the food or Ask, offer a toe or take a toe. So all that stuff just comes in time. and um, So I, I think mostly what our training is more just kind of the physical side of things, just the raw endurance where we're going out and putting in the hours, putting in the miles, doing the work. Um, and then all that synergy kind of comes together on race day. And, um, and we're all good friends. We've been around the block for a lot of years and, and seen each other lots of times and um, get along pretty well. So... Yeah, I guess you can kind of skimp on some of that in training and, and just kind of kick it up over races. Yeah, I th- I, I think that that's, tends to be true. Well, I think people just have a lot more experience. Um, you know, if you get if you got four people that aren't experienced, I think then you really maybe need to spend some time together. But so, well, how many like how many races a year can you you guys do together roughly? Um, I'd say last year I was probably in like six of our maybe seven or eight races total and maybe about the same this year. Probably doing like one a month from March till national. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. seven, eight, nine. Yeah, so you actually are spending a lot of time with your teammates. Yeah, yeah and even when we're not physically uh, there, we're talking on the phone about stuff pre-race or post-race and sending the emails out discussing things and strategizing and gear talks, all that good stuff. Yeah. So so before we actually get to the races, then, um, do you guys have, like, a semi-formalized debriefing after a race? Or do you, are you enough of a team now that you all know what happened? Yeah, we do. I, I think that's uh, a benefit to us. That, and generally it starts from Brent kind of uh, – the next day, you know, he's just a wizard on the, the maps and adventure racing in general. So he kind of breaks everything down. He'll start off the conversation and say, hey, you know, congrats. Here's what we did well. Here's what we need to work on. Here's some strategy stuff we missed. Here's what we did well. Um, and I think that's that's good. Now everyone kind of chimes in, and we all feed off it and put in our own uh, observations and experiences. And um, I, think, I think both the... Uh, prep work we do leading up to that, and then the debriefing afterwards all helps us to uh, be more efficient and more streamlined for the next race. Yeah. So do you just set aside a couple of hours to read Brett's race report? <laughs> yeah, usually, uh, yeah, it depends on my race. You know, he's, he's, uh, yeah. he likes to, to be very specific, yes. let's say that. Yes, well, I make fun, but I I love reading his race reports. Oh yeah, so. yeah, it's all, yeah. it's all great. It's all. So, do you um, like pre-race? Do you guys sort of have uh, specific jobs, like when you're, you know, preparing for a race, like like the week before nationals, or does everybody just kind of know what needs to be done and shows up with everything ready? Yeah, for the most part, we're um, we're all at the point where we know what to bring, and, and there's some discussions to um, make sure like everyone we got the mandatory team team gear covered. And we'll print out those lists and discuss them a few times ahead of time, and 
once you actually get there to the race site, verify all that stuff there again, make sure you're not missing anything. Um, but actual like personal gear, like getting your bikes ready and um, preparing and training and all that stuff, we're pretty much doing all that independently. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you should have it figured out by now, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's always sharing of uh, food and bags and swapping around sunscreens and body lubes and all that stuff ahead of time and even during the, the race and all that stuff, of course. Yeah. It's, it's much, much preparation. I yeah. Think. yeah. Obviously, I think, everybody uh, listening I, to this knows it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of racing actually comes into the preparation, too. Every little detail you can plan out ahead of time and put the stuff in the, the front pocket so it's accessible and take it out of the wrappers if you need to. And all those little tiny things, all those seconds add up to minutes and all those minutes add up to hours. And, uh, and that's how you can really shorten your load and, and make things more streamlined and faster and efficient on the race course. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I really want to get to nationals, but let's, let's chat a little bit about untamed so what was what was your experience like this year? Um, so I was a, a little nervous about Untamed prior to that because I haven't done an expedition-length race since 2012. Uh, so I really worked my butt off to get in shape, knowing that I'd be out there with Brent and Abby, who are both very experienced and very strong racers and do lots of expedition racing. And Brian Rice, who hasn't done an expedition race since, uh, I think he said, like, 2007, maybe, since last time before that. But he'd done tons of races before that and won lots of them, super experienced, super strong. Um, so just knowing that I was going to be towing the line with them, um, I, I definitely uh, kicked it in pretty hard and pretty early in the season to get ready for that. Um, and asked them lots of questions, got lots of feedback on from them as far as gear packing and food packing and uh they really helped me out we did some conference calls all together and discussed everything and um and then it all paid off on the the race course you know everything went pretty well physically we had a a great race no big um injuries or mishaps no mechanicals and and that's all the stuff you can't really plan for so you can't ask for a better race than that um so why was why did you four do do the race? Why did you get to be so lucky? Um, you know, I think for our team it was just kind of the four of us were able to. I'm not sure if there was anybody else that wanted to and didn't get to. I'm, I'm not aware of that. But I think, yeah, we just all kind of uh, jumped at the opportunity, saw it as soon as it released about a year earlier, and um, we kind of were doing the discussions and it was like yeah I'm, I'm in i'm in i'm in we all just signed up and paid the fee and and that was it there you go so what was um what was what was the high point of untamed for you um i really just i enjoyed the whole course that start in the uh the real thick wood with the, the tough technical navigation i really enjoyed um, the first paddle we did in the canoes was really nice uh, at nighttime. Um, I really liked being in the sea kayaks on the other paddles as well. That was nice, the first time in, in true sea kayaks. Um, yeah, I don't know if there was any um, moment that really just, just jumped out, but I kind of loved the, the rain too, the weather. Um, I've had so many hot races this year that being out there in this pouring rain but it being just the perfect temperature that, that you could just ride right through it and run and keep going day or night uh, that was all really enjoyable but there's no just super hot oppressive days yeah. yeah i mean that was the one saving grace that if the temperature was just about right um to be wet 24 yeah. 7 yeah and that has its own challenges but yeah, i enjoyed it i always like racing in the the tougher conditions at nighttime and the rain, things like that. Yeah. So, um, all right, let's go to nationals. Okay. So explain how 
rootstock racing worked. Because <laughs> you had two teams, and do you explain it? I read I read the race report, but it'll be more fun to hear it from you. Yeah. So ever since nationals last year, where we had two teams and we sort of were. We had not planned to stick together last year, and in the opening paddle section, we ended up being the same speed, so we were like, yeah, we'll just kind of paddle together and talk it out and uh, nav together and do all that good stuff that you can kind of work with each other. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, we split up, and then we we ended up maintaining about the same distance behind them. We were never really too far from the, uh, we'll call them rootstock one. And then going into that giant... Um, nighttime navigation section there was one checkpoint it was me brent and nikki last year there was this one checkpoint that just killed us on the water the uh the plot was a little weird it was right on the water and the crew was like this rocky outcrop and we just couldn't find this thing we were up and down that water all night long for two straight hours on both sides just could not find the flag and it ended up killing us and afterwards um we realized that we were a lot closer to the front of the pack than we thought we were and that maybe had we all stayed together we could have found that checkpoint and finished you know both teams on the podium or something how cool would that have been so ever since that race we had always discussed like you know what if what if what if maybe doing it at the super six is really beneficial to us of course there's lots of drawbacks with going that route too but you know we've always had that kind of nagging thought with us and then earlier this year, we did the main summer race, and we went into that race planning to, to try out this strategy. And it worked out pretty well. We stayed together probably the first 10 or 12 hours together as a, a team of six. And then um, at that point, we ended up separating. We untamed. We had about a half-hour lead, and um, our Rootstock 2 team was starting to fall off just a little bit. They had a little hardship at night. Um, so they said, why don't you guys go make a shot for it, try and catch them, and we ended up being able to run them down. And um, the Rootstock 2 team came back and, and finished third and had a great race as well. So that being our only experience, we decided going into this race, let's go for it. Let's try and do the Super 6 again. And keep in mind that if, if anything happens like that, you know, if someone gets injured, there's a mechanical um, if we feel like one team is holding the others back, like this is nationals, we separate, we go for it. Um, that being said, if it's something that we can get through, you know, if someone's going to bounce back pretty quickly, and it's not like this huge nagging uh, lag that they're suffering from, we're probably better off staying together at six where we get to, you know, two navigators discussing things, two sets of maps, six sets of eyes. Um, so we felt that with our team composition, our speed, our um, personalities, that we could benefit from having six people more than the downfalls of having six people where one person or one malfunction can slow down the whole group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and six people in transition, I, I, I don't know who 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 is the smart person that said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far go with the group yeah but uh, i i can see where it could with six people it could end sort of end up like hurting cats a little bit but um how um how did you decide on the composition of of rootstock a and rootstock b see if i say a and b then it doesn't sound like one's better than second team um and the two of us were were pretty much the the two navigators out of the the six of us um our best options so we kind of were you know we had to split those two of us and nikki and abby being our two females we had to split the two of them and then brian being a national champion last year obviously made the the cut for the number one team and um so having brian and abby together were awesome that they could repeat as well um, and then we brought on Jesse Tubb as our sixth person uh, to fill out yeah. the roster. And he's just a, a stud. We've known him for years, and he's always impressed us at races and fit in perfectly, just, just jumped right in the spot. And personality-wise, speed-wise, fit right in. It was natural. Yeah. 
Um, does anybody care that you guys race together? Um, you know, I'm sure there is uh, rumblings about nobody that I had ever heard, you know, specifically called us out. I know lots of other teams have done it over the years, um, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Um, yeah. So, you know, when we had thought about it and discussed it, we we thought for sure, you know, especially if we do well and it, it goes uh, according to plan, which it did, people are going to talk about it and say, well, yeah, of course you, you were able to do good. You had success to rise. But, um, I mean, there's something to say about having six people that can maintain that pace and maintain that performance and maintain that personality to, to get through it. I mean, if, if you always had six people running around, it would be easy. You know, it's not easy to find three people, much less six. So I think that was, uh, you know, we're kind of lucky to have that side of things. Yeah. And I think, I mean, like you said, it, it, it could have went, you know, to hell in a handbasket in a hurry. So, um, it's not a gimme that six is better than three. Yeah, and I kind of felt that way about the main summer race. Going, I, I had my uh, reservations going into to nationals because yeah. I felt like at the main summer race, having two navigators was almost a detriment because they were always discussing the options instead of just one person on the map saying, all right, let's go, we're going this way, and everybody else doesn't know better, so we all just follow along. Yeah. So having the second set of maps and the second navigator, especially two strong navigators who respect each other, we were stopping a lot more, discussing those options a lot more, like looking at each other's maps, you going back and forth. And then uh, I was not navigating in that race. So the other four of us, there was just so many more, and we were talking about things. It just felt like a, a long training day more than a race, and we weren't quite as focused, and it was just a little more lax than, um, than we would usually be in a, a race. Uh, so I thought that was was kind of a, a detriment almost to our, our team performance. And, and once we split up, things obviously uh, got back to normal and, and we still did well. But uh, we were able to improve on that. And, and I, going into this as the second navigator, uh, I pretty much defaulted to Brent on navigation. You know, I was always following along. I was always doing the uh, kind of the – the nitty-gritty work on my maps as well, but whenever Brent said, no, we're going this way or we're taking this shortcut or we're going to try this, you know, I just smiled and nodded and said, yep, we're going. Let's go. Yeah. Um, so, go well, ahead. yeah. Did you, did you do that because, well, obviously you trust him as a navigator, but was that um, in the back of your mind that you're like, no, I don't want to talk about it for two minutes? Um. Yeah, we'd talk about it on the move. Like, I, I would never say, all right, let's stop and, and think about it. Unless I was super opinionated, but I don't think there was ever a time where I uh, really made a stand on anything. Pretty much always just um, went with it. And, and, you know, a lot of times there's small decisions anyhow, whether you go up and over this hill or take the reentrant up and out or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is he's just got so much experience and not only experience in racing, but also experience on the maps, um, racing himself and being a race director and directing so many races and setting so many courses. His just ability yeah. with the, the maps and navigation is uh, very impressive. And, you know, I, I haven't raced with a ton of other navigators, but um, he's always impressed me. So, yeah. And then I also think that, thinking about yeah. main summer race, I never really wanted to – uh, stifle the momentum of the team by trying to uh, deliberate something for too long or making us think about it or saying, uh, oh, no, you know, we should split up. I think this is my way. That's your way. You're just kind of going with the flow and, yeah. and making sure we are both on the right track regardless of which track that was. Yeah, that makes sense. So how much of the race did you actually – were the six of you together? Was it the whole race, or did you have any times when you split up? Or Oh, no. Yeah, we were, we were together the entire time. There was, um, I guess on the paddle, our team was a, a little bit faster on the paddle, but even on the really long segment coming back uh, on the, the paddle, we may have had gapped like five minutes or so, so it was really nothing significant. Huh. Well, it's kind of you don't have to because you're not 
all teammates, so you don't have to stay together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so explain the two, the two navigation sections, the dog bone and and the other one. I don't know what what they called it, but how do they work? Um, so the uh, the triple triple was pretty cool. We all just split up. You know, our team is also really fortunate that everybody on there can navigate, and and part of that is you know going into races like Untamed New England where they force you to split up and do the different orienteering relays and stuff like that. So we've always mm-hmm. um, prepared for those accordingly, but. Yeah, we're also just lucky. Jesse does a lot of races by himself, so he navigates. Brian's a great navigator in his own right. Nikki's a great navigator. She just has a 12-hour race at Delmarva uh, to a first-place win. Um, Abby can navigate. She can hold her own on anything. So really splitting up for us is a a benefit. I think we um, all are very confident in each other, so that was a no-brainer. We had um, one person go for the the far points on – bicycle one person do kind of the midpoints on foot and then one person do the, the closer points on foot and um came back we had a little extra time waiting for the bikes to get back so being that the race started we didn't get a whole lot of time with the maps we kind of folded out the, the maps and got the big picture view and set up our bike route and um, all that to get over to the dog bones and then uh like brian the race director said the dog bones were really the the nitty-gritty of the course and kind of was a, a, a big separator. And I thought that course was just awesome, that orienteering with the dog bones. That's the first time I'd ever seen that kind of uh, set up with the, the paired points, and I just thought that was super cool. And um, really, I think strategy and navigation are two of our biggest strengths. So just any kind of wrench they can throw in the spokes and kind of make things a little more technical or uh, complicated, I think, benefits us as well. Yeah. And in that one, basically, you had to get two points to get a point. Is that, I mean, to, to count as a point, right? Right, yeah. So you had to get two points as a point, and they had to be consecutive. You couldn't jump from, like, 33A to 34A to 33B. You had to get 33A, 33B. It didn't matter if you got B first or A first. But you had to get them paired before you could move on to the next pair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a lot of thought would go into figuring that one out. Yeah, yeah. And looking at the the map, there's a a pretty logical flow, but there was, depending on which direction you do it, there's one or two points that are outliers, so you had to work that in there. And um, pretty much for all the teams, this course is at nighttime, too, which added to the complexity. Oh, just a real fun couple hours in there. Yeah, well, sounds cool. You guys did great. So, um, this may—I don't want—I don't. You may want to. Let's see. How do I put this? Um, I like this. Are you guys the best team in in uh, America right now? Um, I don't know. I, I think our results have been very good. You know, we've also won the point series the last two years in a row. Um, I think that's a statement to our consistency and also, um, at least for this region, I think we we generally perform very well. Um, I don't know that I'd say we're the, the very best. There's so many other teams out there that could rival us on any given day. You know, even, even on that race course, I, we were all completely convinced that Untamed New England had us in the bag, and even up until like the last five hours of that race, they they had an hour lead on us. We came into the the last transition there, transition five, and we we're asking, you know, how long ago did they come in? And they said they hadn't been here yet. And at that point, we knew how much of the race there was left, and we were just throwing stuff in the air. We were so happy. You know, we, we completely didn't expect it. We we were going to be stoked to be second and third, and. You know, it's really unfortunate they uh, made that mistake that they did. Um, you know, they're good yeah. friends of ours. And to some degree, I almost feel like they lost the race more than we won the race. They had such a commanding lead on us. They're, they had the fastest paddle split. They had the fastest dog bone orienteering split. And they're probably the strongest mountain bikers in the race, too. So, you know, credit to them for, for the hard work they put in. Um, yeah, we, were, yeah. we got pretty lucky there at the end. Well, I mean, you make your own luck. Huh, well, there's a cliche. 
But I mean that I mean that just goes to show it it's yeah, one you have one bad hour and you're kinda screwed. I think um I guess maybe that says more to the uh how many good teams there are. Um, yeah. Which is kinda nice. We're we're the teams are, are getting there, so um what uh I get you're probably done for this year, but are you guys looking at next year any yet or you just like chilling. Yeah, at this point, I think we're all just chilling. You know, it's only a, a week, week and a half out or so. And um, at least there's a couple of people they were talking about doing like that New Jersey Inferno race with Naira and a couple other smaller things around Rootstock's putting on the, the Stokesville two day stage race. Yeah. Um, so I'll go up and volunteer that and things and just kind of goof around with friends and family. But um, for me personally, I'm pretty much done for the the season and happily falling into a, a little bit more of a lackadaisical off season here. So, yeah, nothing nothing planned yet for next year. Just yeah, nothing I mean, uh, nothing yet. I mean, we'll we'll yeah. be out there for sure. You can count on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Got anything else? <laughs> Sometimes I think I have I have more questions, and I'm like, no, I think we kind of covered it. But so, what do you what do you want to what do you want to accomplish like adventure racing in the next five years? Well, how's that for a question? Yeah, that's a pretty good one, and uh, one that I didn't really have an answer to. I kind of try not to plan things out too far in advance, and you know, even a, a year's time seems like a, a long way for me. I, I think if, as far as adventure racing, you know, I'd be just as happy to finish first as Nationals as to finish last. You know, you're out there with your friends. It's it's all just for fun. It's a personal challenge anyhow. So to, to come out with great results is, is um, super fantastic and fun and motivating. But at the same time, I think we'd all be working just as hard for, you know, a pair of sunglasses as we would for a million dollars. We're just having fun. Yeah, if it's if if you're in this for money, you're you've made a big mistake. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, okay. Here's the last question. Question is, is um, have you checked the box for Eco Challenge? Um, I've seen your posts about it recently, and I've definitely uh, been keeping an eye on things, but I personally have not looked into it a, a whole lot or um, yeah. talked to anybody about joining up. I mean, yeah. I would totally be open to the opportunity. That would be absolute dream come true, and, and just doing that and yeah. giving it a try and having fun and being out there would be awesome. So it's very cool that they're bringing it back. That's, that's really going to be neat to watch. Yeah. Well, you know, all you can really do right now is go and check a box that says, "Yeah, I want, I want to be a competitor," and then they'll, you'll be on the list. So, yeah, you might as well, right? Yeah, who wouldn't? We never know. Yeah. So, cool. Well, um, I'm done. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> I can't for, uh... even say I'm done it and taking the dog for a hike because Chili's with Paulette. So. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the chat, though. Yeah, thanks for the call, Randy. This has been great. So, cool. Well, um, hopefully we'll see you. See, now next time when I see you at a race, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, just look for the hair. There you go. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Randy. See you, man. All right. Bye.